is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. At least that's our name for now. This weekend, we are offering seven conversations from episodes 29 and 30, our real-time coverage of Easel Congress 2023. Plus, on Tuesday, we will be reposting episode 28 with Mike Patel from the Fatty Liver Alliance and on interviewing Dr. Tetiana Deshko, Director of Programs at the Alliance for Public Health in Ukraine. These episodes speak for themselves, so I'm going to keep the introduction short and sweet, leaving more time for the conversations themselves. The second conversation from Saturday afternoon starts with panelists discussing their reactions to the Maestro Dash result from Thursday's first general session. This bridges quickly into questions around the scoring systems we use to evaluate Nash, and specifically some shortcomings within the Nash CRN system. The group also discusses the role panelists anticipate resmeterone will play in the short term and long run, and the implications of superior patient support in both arms of the randomized clinical trials, and how well the drug will be perceived to work in the treating community. For a variety of reasons, the entire community looked forward to this meeting with an intensity and excitement I, at least, had not seen in previous events. These seven conversations suggest that the actual event met or exceeded these high expectations. So did the fact that the Tsunami Podcast will spend the next month with five episodes reviewing highlights from meetings in detail. A lot happened. A lot's worth thinking about. A lot worth listening to. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn or Facebook discussion groups. Today's episode is sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Madrigal is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a once-daily oral thyroid hormone receptor, THR beta-selective agonist designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. Why don't we move on to brighter news? So let's go from the clouds to the sunshine and talk a little bit about resmeterone, which I think everybody felt really, really good about, at least as best I could tell. So Michelle, having had one foot in each camp over the course of the last year, even, go schizophrenic on me and on all of us and, and tell us how that feels from a corporate perspective and how it feels from an academic perspective, given what your career has been. Michelle Long. Yeah, I would say same. That's part of what's so great is that to where we are in the field, everyone is rooting for the others to succeed because it's a positive step forward for our patients. It's been a difficult drug development journey for everyone, and we are learning together. I mean, that's partly what we do in the forum, and it was great. You had that podcast about the forum a few weeks ago because we're used to working together via the forum, the people in industry. And so to see a clear presentation of, you know, very simply put and data that was not ambiguous. I mean, that that was a victory for all. Yeah. Rachel Zayas. I, I I have to agree. It, 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 it was it was clear data. It was certainly a victory. My one question from this, which I'm going to continue to raise because I think that this is something that's not discussed as in depth as it needs to be. But we often talk about responders, and I would love to get an in-depth analysis of the phenotype and which patients have the best response rate. And I know that this might shrink the patient population that could best be served, but it really may get the hands of this therapeutic into patients faster if we can do a deep dive into who's responding and why or who is not responding. So that's the one thing I'm going to continue to raise. Let me ask the rest of you my own beliefs about that, but why don't we know more about 
what about the um, realities facing Madrigal or the nature of how they conducted the trial put us in a place where we don't know more about that? This is speculation, so anyone please correct me if this is wrong, but it seems that there's so many patients, and especially during top-line readouts, you can't dive into the nitty-gritty analysis of, of subpopulations. So we rely on averages, which is problematic at all stages in basic and translational research. So that's that's one thing that comes top of mind. Well, so when you talk to a statistician about the tyranny of unitary statistics, you go right to my heart immediately. And I want to elaborate on that a little bit because I think Nash CRN actually militates against that kind of knowledge. What we're talking about is an ordinal scale of a limited number of points on fibrosis defined in ways that are at least uh, semi-quantitative. On the NAS score, those are fundamentally qualitative measures, which is why we have all these inter-rater reliability issues that we have. And I'd like to think that over time, either for competitive reasons or due to pressure from the regulatory agencies, people are going to have to learn more to get approved. But on a first drug, I think that's a real heavy lift. I would like to see our unreplaced, frankly. And over time, I hope we can get there. But Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to get there. Uh, I think they're probably just presenting the results like this first time at a meeting. There's going to be many, many papers that will come out of this and many, many insights. But, you know, first things first, let's get the top results out there. Let's present them clearly. And that was the mission. And I think they accomplished that. Yeah, I agree with that. Don't, don't interpret what I just said as disagreement. Mike Patel. I want to support something that Michelle said earlier, too, that it's important that somebody starts. And so is this going to be five years from now, the drug that's used to treat these conditions? Very likely no, because there's going to be newer advances, maybe combination treatments and that kind of stuff. So I think at least we need to start. So it's exciting from that perspective, right? It's not going to be perfect to, to start with. Hannes Hockstrom. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting landscape that we're, we're facing. And if I remember the presentation correctly, they had around 30% of patients responding during the trial. And then what happens? How many will respond in five years? Do we have a threshold effect of people? You know, these are only the people that you can expect to respond or are even more patients going to respond if you treat them for longer periods of time. And Or if that's not the case, then how do we identify the people that do respond and do not respond? And what should be the second line treatment and so on? So very challenging, but very interesting uh, years to come. Yeah, I think you're right. That is a question, given how long it takes for people to demonstrate response the way we're defining it right now. I just wanted to raise the historical perspective, having been there at the launch of hepatitis C, that it is a journey that you start off with in some cases, and I'm just talking about interferon monotherapy, at probably a 5% sustained response rate, and then you move up to a cure. So it will happen over time. So it's a journey for all of us. Jeff McIntyre. I'll jump in real quick. Thank you, Roger. You know, I think the thing that's interesting about this is there's general consensus among the community that uh, that down the road treatment for this disease is going to be basically a polypharmacy sort of approach because it presents in so many multiple co-occurring conditions as well. And so the clinical trials are great, the information's great, but in order for us to have many, we've got to have one to start with on this. And getting something across the line, I think, is so important because then it allows us to begin to see how this can begin to work, not just as an isolated therapy, but how it can begin to work in combination with other therapies as well. And then as we've got, what, four or five therapies that are significant that are lined up in phase three right now, as they continue to come out, I think what we're going to find is the good from resmitteron is going to be exponentially increased with each new therapy that comes because there'll be lessons learned from this sort of polypharmacy approach. I, I, I wanted to raise something that's interesting 
and maybe you guys can comment on it too. I do find that the behavioral support has become part of the placebo when in reality, people aren't getting behavioral support to help them with their uh, lifestyle management. So it's really an interesting perspective. Like They're almost biasing the results because the placebo would actually be worse. Mike, I think that's the reality of drug trials in general, that in drug trials, they seek really high compliance and you can't treat placebo patients any differently than patients getting active drug. My question would almost be the reverse, which is, will patients getting active drug in the universe outside the clinical trial setting get nearly the same kind of support that people got in the trial? That You might actually see that number drop as compared to just the placebo will drop and therefore the, the spread will be wider. Right. And that's the classic with how generalizable are uh, clinical trial results to the reality of practicing medicine. Clinical trial patients are extremely motivated, you know, especially these studies are really long and they've committed to take the journey with their provider. They certainly don't represent the average patient. So yeah, I would argue that the average patient is and the average provider is probably different than those in the study. And, and you're probably getting less behavioral support in, in the real world, unfortunately, but it's not well reimbursed. Clinicians are super busy. They don't have time. So I think there's a lot of challenges. But Michelle, coming from, you know, being at Novo in that particular company, I mean, you must have seen the same problems in the obesity trials and the, in the type 2 trials, right? Those also sort of lifestyle related diseases where, where patients might do better in the trials, but you actually in real world data than in phase 4 see also that you have treatment effects also, you know, not only in the trials, but also in the real world. So shouldn't we expect the same thing in, in, in NAFLD that maybe we don't get the full effect that you do in, in a trial, but at least you get, you know, somewhere close to that? Yeah, totally. And, it's, and that's why it's super important to, you know, to do those real world evidence studies and to actually see how this works in the, in the hands of non-trial patients so that we get a better sense and can generalize better. Today's episode has been sponsored by Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Madrigal is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company pursuing novel therapeutics for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, a liver disease with high unmet medical need. Madrigal's lead candidate, Resmeterum, is a once-daily oral thyroid hormone receptor, THR beta-selective agonist designed to target key underlying causes of NASH in the liver. For more information, visit www.madrigalpharma.com. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Next week begins our five-episode review of Key Easel Congress findings. Also, keep an eye and ear out on LinkedIn and Facebook for invitations to share your thoughts on our upcoming brand change, given that, as people keep writing, I quote, Nash is dead. Long live Nash and Nassel, end of quote. So until then, stay safe. Surf on. If you're in the States, enjoy the July 4th weekend, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.